been feeling mighty lonesome Haven't slept a wink I walked the floor and watched the door And in between I drink Black coffee Folks, people, peeps this is the Coffee Geek Podcast, the voice of the CoffeeGeek.com website. I'm Mark Prince, I'm your host, and we open up the show this time around with Black Coffee by Ella Fitzgerald. Um, the song doesn't really set the tone for this show, it's kind of a slow, sad song, and this, this show is definitely upbeat. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with the show, and you know what? I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. I don't know. How can I do? You know, James Bond, his favorite drink is the shaken, not stirred martini. Um, I do know that he drank coffee, though. In fact, I think in the first Roger Moore movie that he did as James Bond, he actually made an espresso. Actually made a cappuccino for his boss on a Lapavoni professional espresso machine. Um, his boss came over at like 2 a.m. when Bond was busy with one of his Bond babes. And uh, he tried to hide the babe, and he went and brought his boss into the kitchen and said, Can I make you a coffee, sir? And his boss said, Oh, yeah, sure. And he went over to the Lapavoni, and uh, he ground some coffee, I believe, pulled the shot. The shot was gushing. <laughs> and then he steamed up some milk, and you could just hear the whole, like, you know, burbling milk sound. Um, could have been he was making an Americano, though, because I don't actually remember seeing him grab any milk. But he did make it up for his boss, made it pretty quick, handed it over, and his boss is, ew, quiet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, James Bond and Espresso, it is there. So this is the Coffee Geek Podcast 007, And, as I said, we have a good show for you today. I should set the tone first. If you're hearing any outside noises while I'm recording this, I'm actually sitting out on the deck. It's a beautiful Vancouver early evening, Saturday evening. You're going to be hearing this on Sunday or later because this is Time Shift Radio after all. Saturday was just an amazing day. It was, you know, a very typical Vancouver day. Uh, the day started off kind of cloudy, kind of sunny, kind of chilly for, you know, a July 9th. And went off to the farmer's market this morning. I walked around, love it. I mean, I love going to the farmer's market on Saturdays. So many different things for sale. Picked up some fresh fruits, some fresh veggies, picked up some herbs. I even picked up an ostrich uh, sausage and buffalo steaks. <laughs> um, this is the West Coast. And there was an espresso cart there, and it was interesting to, to see people going in and getting espresso from this cart. The business didn't look too bad, actually, and, I, you know, it was a cart, but the guy seemed to have an interest in producing fairly decent espresso. And, you know, that, that actually reminds me of a fellow I know by the name of Danny uh, from Alt.Coffee. It's a news group which can be found on groups.google.com. And Danny, uh, a few years back, was just an espresso enthusiast, just like most other people in the news group, but he decided to take a little step further, and he actually bought a cart. And I believe he goes to, you know, farmer's markets and country fairs and all sorts of things over in England. He lives in England. And if I remember correctly, he may have upgraded his machine now, but he had a Gaggia two-group lever machine, so it used piston levers. And it was all running off of propane. And knowing what I know from da about Danny, and also people who've reported going to his espresso uh, shack, cart, whatever you want to call it, 
he was pumping out amazing espresso. And, you know, there can be amazing espresso found at these things. I'd, I don't hold my hopes high when I see a cart at a fair. But what I saw today, we didn't partake because I had had um, a couple of shots of espresso and a cappuccino before we headed over. But it seemed the guy really kind of cared about the shots he was pumping out. Um, the only downside was is I saw he was using Lavazza coffee. And it'd be cool to see someone like that use, you know, some fresh-sourced roasted coffee locally. We have a lot of local roasters. I don't really think you need to buy coffee from Italy that's been roasted several months before. But other than that, he just seemed, you know, from what I observed for the three or four minutes I checked him out, he seemed to be really into it. And I've been told that sort of one of those secret locations you can find really good espresso. And again, this is hit and miss. I don't want to guarantee, I'm not guaranteeing it by any stretch. But one place you can find good espresso if you look hard enough for it is at these fairs. It's these guys with these uh, storage uh, trailers that, you know, U-Haul rents, except the side opens up and they serve espresso out of it. You know, give it a shot next time you're at a fair. So, let's get into today's show. We're going to have three segments, a very, very brief mail segment. We have, finally, voicemail to play for you. And we're going to read two viewer mails. And then we're going to get into the news segment with Jeanette Chan. And the news segment is pretty long this time around. I believe it's 32 minutes. But it's pretty good. There's a lot of stuff covered in. And we're going to end up with another newbie segment with myself and Bata Sawinski. So, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. I'm talking to the shadows from one o'clock to four. And Lord, how slow the moments go. When all I do is pour black coffee Since the blues caught my eye Alright folks, back inside now and let's see if we can get this mail segment done in five minutes or less. We've got a lot of show to get to. First up, i got a mail from uh, Dylan Vamatra. And he says, I found your podcast feed soon after upgrading to iTunes 4.9 and enjoyed all the segments I've heard so far. I'm a fan of the website for a while now, and I think the podcasts are very cool. Well, thanks, Dylan. Anyways, I'd like to hear about some people's favorite coffee drink and how they make it. I think some of us coffee geeks out there would love to hear new and different ways to enjoy coffee. There are many other good questions I'm dying to ask, but I'll go one at a time. And P.S., I own a Gaggia coffee and a Ranchilia Rocky, and you are so right when you said the grinder makes more of a difference than the machine. I love the Rocky. Well, again, thanks, Dylan. Uh, on favorite drinks, you know what? Um, we have a roundtable coming up soon that I'm going to be recording, and I think I'm going to throw that out as a question. We'll, we'll get the opinion from, from people um, in the roundtable and find out what they have to say. As far as my favorite drink, I'm pretty basic, actually. You know, every morning I have an Americano pretty much without fail. It's kind of my version of the morning coffee cup. I make myself about a five-ounce Americano with a double shot of espresso. It's usually a two-to-one or, you know, one-and-a-half-to-one ratio of water to espresso, and that's what I enjoy. I mean, during the summer, I've been drinking a little bit more of iced Americanos, and the way I make it is pretty simple. What I do is I, I have those Bodum cups that we talked about on, I think it was show one, it's the Bodum Pavina cup, P-A-V-I-N-A. It's a double-walled cup, and I have the, the one that is uh, roughly 12 ounces. So what I do is I put three or four or five ice cubes in it, usually five, put cold water in it, 
until it's right up to the level of the ice cubes. And then I brew myself a very generous double shot. I tend to uh, pack a little less so it runs a little longer. I, I'm looking for a true three-ounce double from this, which is a long double as far as most you know coffee geeks are concerned. And uh, I brew that. I dump the shot into the cup, and I add a little milk, and it tastes awesome. But in the roundtable, we'll ask that question. So thanks, Dylan. Next email it says, Hi, Mark. The podcast is absolutely fascinating, and I hope you continue it for quite some time. Well, cool, thanks. I have a very simple question. Why do you not seem to like Ristretto so much? Thanks, Bill McGuire. <laughs> First of all, thanks, Bill. Um, on the Ristretto subject, if you look back at posts I made online, either on Coffee Geek or on Alt.Coffee back in the past... You'll see that I was an absolute fanatic about the ristretto. I would go into cafes and ask for a straw. Come on, give me a ristretto, goddammit. <laughs> but uh, lately, I haven't been so much of a fan. In fact, I'm kind of famous uh, for calling the ristretto a crutch drink. That's crutch, as in the thing that helps you walk around when your leg is broken. It doesn't mean that I don't like ristrettos. In fact, I think they taste awesome. My calling the ristretto a crutch drink is mainly due to the fact that after like really studying espresso and how it's made, I've kind of figured that I can get as good a shot as a standard double espresso as I can as a ristretto. I mean, it's much harder for the standard double volume. Let's talk about numbers real quick. A standard single shot of espresso is viewed to be usually 30 to 45 milliliters of liquid poured. That's one to one and a half ounces in roughly 25 seconds, give or take. So a double is 60 to 90 milliliters or two to three ounces in that same time, 25 to 27 seconds. I view a standard double as being 60 milliliters or two ounces pulled in roughly 25 to 30 seconds. Usually I'm aiming for 27 seconds. That's using between 14 and 18 grams of coffee in a double basket. Now, people who pull ristrettos will use that same amount of ground coffee. However, they grind it slightly finer, and they usually only extract between 30 and 45 milliliters, or 1 to 1.5 ounces, in that same brew time from that same amount of coffee. I call it a crutch because you're basically throwing more coffee at less liquid to produce a sweeter and better shot. It's a crutch to me because I've had some of the best shots of espresso ever as a traditional double. That means the shot pulled was, you know, 60, 70 milliliters total volume from, you know, 17, 18 grams of coffee. Using more coffee to brew less, to me, that's a crutch. It's like, you know, cheating a bit. I'm not saying that I hate ristrettos, just saying that absolute perfection in espresso I still think comes from a traditional double. And I know that's a controversial view. And we're already, I think, approaching five minutes on this mail thing. So we're going to play an audio question from a fellow named Todd Walcott. Hello, this is a uh, as a message for the Coffee Geek podcast. I listened to your first four, and I plan on listening to the fifth one soon. And one of the questions I have after listening to it is, could you include a segment on definitions of basic terms? I think I know what things like cupping and balloon are. I would just, I think it'd be cool if you covered them for beginners like myself. Thank you very much. Bye. Cool. Thanks, Todd. Actually, 
that's a great idea, and we will be covering stuff like that in the future. Maybe I could throw out a few now and also tell you that in our newbie section, I think we're going to be covering a bit of that as well. Um, basic terminology on the espresso side. How about TAMP? We always say TAMP. What does it mean? TAMP means that you use this piston th- uh, device that fits in your hand to press down ground coffee inside the portafilter on an espresso machine. Uh, what it does is it levels it out and it usually packs it in pretty tight so the water, when it hits it at very high pressure, will hit it very evenly. Um, as far as what a portafilter is, for example, a portafilter is, comes from the Italian word for the handle device that holds the filter that holds the ground coffee in an espresso machine. I think everyone knows what a filter is on an espresso machine. It's a, it's a round metal device that holds the ground coffee. The bottom is perforated. The top is open so that you can drop the coffee into it. Um, how about bar? We use that term a lot. When you buy an espresso machine, you may see them advertised on 15, 18 bar. Hey, wow, it's got 18 bar. Means nothing, folks. 18 bar means nothing. Nine bar is what you want to brew espresso at. And pretty much every machine that has a pump will brew at that temperature at that pressure now nine bar bar stands for barometric something i don't know whatever <laughs> uh it's it's very closely equivalent to atmospheres they're not exactly on but uh nine bar pressure is roughly 135 140 pounds per square inch of water pressure that's a lot of pressure hitting the ground coffee what other terms can I think of in espresso? We have ristretto, traditional, and lungo. Those are three terms for an espresso shot. The ristretto shot uh, stands for a restricted shot, where you do things to slow down how the espresso pours out of the portafilter. So you do it by grinding finer or using more coffee or a combination of both. A traditional is just a traditional espresso shot. It's usually 30 to 45 milliliters per single shot, as I mentioned in the previous email. The lungo is a long shot. That's usually where you're pouring anywhere between 50 to 75 milliliters or, you know, anywhere between one half to three ounces per single shot. So if you're doing a double, it could be, you know, four ounces, five ounces of espresso poured. Um, there's also this drink called the Cafe Swiss, which is kind of an extreme lungo. It's very popular in Switzerland. It's very popular with people who have super automatics. The uh, Cafe Swiss style coffee is basically a six ounce seven ounce shot of espresso it's pulled forever uh the grind is coarse so that bitters don't come out right away um personally i have not developed a taste for it but it is very popular in switzerland and like i said in future podcasts we'll definitely cover more terminology and i think in the newbie section today you're going to find it as well well there we go we're done the mail segment um, I want to remind you that if you want to get in touch with us, you can send an email to podcast at coffeegeek.com or leave a voicemail for us. Call us toll free. Call us at 1-800-332-9477. That's 1-800-332-9477. And one more reminder, we're listed on podcastalley.com. If you like the show, if you could go over there, find the Coffee Geek podcast and vote for us. It's a new month, July, so anyone who voted in June, your vote no longer counts. They zero them out. So go vote for us and keep us in that top 50 list. Now let's get on to the rest of the show.
We are sitting here with Jeanette Chan. Hello, Jeanette. Hi, Mark. What's your job? Official procrastinator. Okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> but <laughs> no, the you're boss. okay. Sure. I can be the boss today. The boss. You're the news boss. I'm the news boss for CoffeeGeek.com. For CoffeeGeek.com. And uh, you have some news for us today, so why don't you get right into it? Okay, well, on eMediaWire.com, I found an article about Burke Brands, and they applied for organic certification for its coffee roasting facility in Florida. Burke Brands was a, is a manufacturer of Cafe Don Pablo line of gourmet coffees, announced today that it is completing the necessary steps to receive organic certification for its roasting facility in North Miami Beach, Florida. The company pointed to the fast-growing demand by upscale consumers for organic products as their motivation for certification and also indicated that they are in talks with a major retailer of organic products who is interested in their Cafe Don Pablo line of gourmet coffees. Interesting stuff. What's next? An article I found on Brazilian coffee. ACCentral.com has an article about a Brazilian coffee brand called uh, Marques de P- uh, Peva brand produced by Café Bomdia, who use uh, Arabica beans grown in Brazil. It was introduced in the United States at Sands Club in September 2003 and beat four other brands, including Folgers, Mm. Dean & DeLuca, Mm. and finished a close second after Starbucks in a Mm. blind taste test on U.S. News Show 2020. Mm. A contributing factor to this brand's popularity is that it Ow. is organic and has a direct relationship with the coffee growing farms in Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> is that Virginia? No. No. Virginia. Okay, Virginia. Th- I know this I'm not supposed to discuss this part, but you know what? The twenty twenty contacted me about that story before they were doing it for research and stuff and asked if I could get them, you know, a bunch of consumers together in New York for this blind taste test. And I just knew that if brands like Folgers and Dean DeLuca and <laughs> that would be involved in the tasting and uh, i guess i guess for mainstream marketing yeah saying that you beat out you know a bunch of other coffees in a blind taste test on 2020 sounds good but uh you know who they beat who cares anyways i'm sorry well one it's good for them no i i know who they beat they beat dean deluca starbucks folgers yes for them next (laughs) no no i'm just gonna point this one last part out Um, the one thing about this particular brand of coffee is that it is organic and it has a direct relationship. Oh, that's good. Which is they're, they're, better than some of the other coffee brands that are out. That's awesome. But they're a big corporation and, you know, to huge corporations, the term direct relationship has a very different meaning than it does to a company like Intelligentsia, for example, or, or to Cade's Coffee. Well, it, they're doing a cooperative with 17 other growing that's families. Good. Well, you never know. Good for them. Sorry. Sorry. Keep going. On Fox News, I really like Fox. <laughs> In Fox News, uh, there was an article called Coffee May Cut Type 2 Diabetes Risk. Apparently, people who drink coffee regularly may lower their risk of developing type 2 diabetes. You know, I keep finding articles about this. So. Mm. However, the researchers reporting the finding aren't advising coffee as a diabetes prevention method. They say they found support for the idea that habitual coffee consumption is associated with substantially lower risk of type 2 diabetes. A researcher named Rob M. Van Dam, uh, a PhD. Rob Van Dam? Yes, I know. I I don't think it has anything to do with it. He's finally making something of his life. Rob Van Dam. 
at the nutrition department at Harvard School of Public Health. Wait, I think politics. there's a wrestler named Rob Van Dam. It's not Jean-Claude Van Dam. That's right. It's the wrestler. He's done good. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, Rob Van Dam might come and kick your butt. For this. Uh, he probably could. Actually, and, he definitely could. <laughs> and his colleagues didn't do a new experiment. Instead, they reviewed 15 past days of coffee and type 2 diabetes. A total of nine studies were done over a long time, between 6 to 20 years, and they included a, to- a combined total of more than 193,000 people in the United States and Europe. Uh, what they found was that people who drank the most coffee had the lowest risk of type 2 diabetes. They downed at least 6 or 7 cups of coffee per day. God. They were 35% less likely to develop type 2 diabetes as those who drank less than 2 cups of coffee daily. Those who drank 4 to 6 cups a day had a 28% lower risk of type 2 diabetes compared with people who drank the least coffee, say the researchers. Damn. And the findings show that decaf coffee was associated with lower type 2 diabetes risk in two of the U.S. studies. Which means, well, first of all, they're good researchers, not actual good, you know, study producers. They just research existing studies. But it also shows that maybe it's not the caffeine, which everyone, you know, targets. Caffeine, ooh, it's a weevil. Because if it was decaf that did too, in a couple of the studies, there's other elements in the coffee. When was the last time you had six to seven cups of coffee? <sighs> other than barista competitions and evaluation days, never. I can't drink that much coffee. And your last story before we get into some discussion pieces. Well, this is on a very uh, favorite topic of mine for some reason. <laughs> uh, may have to do with where we live. More on the continuing story of Dutch coffee shops at finance24.com. Oh, yeah. Last last news episode, you talked about Dutch coffee shops having an issue with uh, joining the EU. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's an article about how uh, it talks about how uh, they can legally sell cannabis. That's uh, marijuana. Ooh, don't say that word. Oh, okay. So go ahead. Marijuana. <laughs> Funny <laughs> weed. That, that's an evil word, but cannabis actually was originally used for making paper and rope. So, mm-hmm. anyways, but they're allowed to do this only under certain conditions. However, they were unable to, uh, the, the, the Dutch government do not know what the financial returns of the cannabis branch is. Uh, for some reason, not all of it is recorded. Uh, there are legal duh. sales. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> yes, Mr. Taxman, we sold 17 joints today. <laughs> there are legal sales, but also legal herbal drug and supplement stores, and something that they call space cake, which is laced with cannabis. Mm, and space cake. They aren't tracing. They aren't able to track those sales. The number of coffee shops is on decline, though. <gasps> I know, but the grow shops are on the rise. So the Dutch Justice Minister Piet Hein Donner has announced that he wants to reduce the role of grow shops with stricter rules. I think this is tied in with the EU thing. The Dutch cannabis branch is made up of something like 1,200 shops or cafes that employ around uh, 4,600 people. Wow. That's a lot of people. Okay, let's move on now to your discussion pieces. And even though, you know, I wasn't supposed to talk during your first segment, but I just can't help myself. It's just like... I wear my steel toes next time. Uh Uh-oh. Just, you got to stop hitting me during these recordings. Ow! <laughs> during these recordings. It's like recorded. Ow! It's like recorded abuse. Uh, yes, I can, but it's enjoyable. I, oh. For the record, I do not like getting beat. Ow! <laughs> okay. 
I'm in Charlotte.com or the Charlotte Observer. There's a, I found a story about the makers of Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee oh, in search of knockoffs. It makes me think of that movie with our favorite actor, Van Damme. Mm. And this is the Jean-Claude variety, though, not the Rob. Yeah. Okay. But I, I just fell over when I uh, when I was reading like you know which paper was it said Knight Ritter newspapers and I went. Knight Ritter's been around a lot longer than Knight Rider. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you're such a geek. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, as coffee geeks, we've all heard of Jamaican Blue Mountain. Oh yes. Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee is revered like few others in the world, grown only above 2,000 feet in the cloud forest. Oh, I love, wait, 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 I'm going to stop you right here. Say that line again. Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee is revered like few others in the world, grown only above 2,000 feet in the cloud forest above Kingston. Folks, I'm speaking really close to the microphone now so I can whisper. I hope you can hear me. Marketing bull. Anyways, go ahead. However, the industry and its government regulators, whose job is to ensure that only the highest quality beans gets to the uh, gets the Blue Mountain label, are beginning to realize that perhaps thousands of imposters are flooding the market and oh, undermining the long-standing reputation that consistently earns upwards of $30 a pound. Of course. For more than 50 years, the Coffee Industry Board of Jamaica used a very low-tech method of enforcing their trademark infringement. Stamped barrels, I bet. They had mystery shoppers, uh, often Jamaicans living abroad, uh, enlisted to buy coffee marketed as Blue Mountain and send it back to Kingston for testing. Hmm. They thought this was a great way to handle this uh, particular approach until they checked the internet. Hmm. And at that point, they found thousands of sites selling Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee. I can't believe how many places I go that find Blue Mountain. Oh, well, I really, yeah. They don't actually say Jamaican Blue Mountain. They just say Blue Mountain. Blue Mountain, Jamaican High Mountain. So anyways, go on. Finish out the story because I got a lot to say about Blue this Mountain, uh, The Blue Mountain crop is small, about uh, 1,600 tons a year, with 85% of the exports going to Japan. It's so coveted that a single cup can go for $15. <laughs> is that it? No, I got more. The board, uh, the board has ordered some from the sites, kept them, and obviously they weren't very good, up to par. So they've been negotiating first with these companies, and now they're taking them to court. Mm, is court. that it? Yes. Well, okay, here we go. JBM, Jamaican Blue Mountain, commonly known in the industry as JBM. Uh, okay, you know, I, I talk to old people in the coffee biz, and, you know, back in the day... Very famous phrase. Back in the day... It makes you sound old. I know. But this is for them, not me. These are like 60, 70-year-old dudes. Like George Howell, the guy we interviewed uh, a couple of weeks ago, for example. You know, back in the day, Jamaican Blue Mountain was the epitome of an awesome coffee. You know, Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee is such a scam. It's such a scam. I mean, it's an extremely tightly controlled monopoly by like three or four families that own these estates, they don't pay their workers very well. I mean, if you compare them to Costa Rica La Manita, you know, Bill Aspen, and what he does in Costa Rica, and the way he takes care of his farmers, his workers, you know, the benefits they have, the pay that they get, mm. you know, and, and when you compare the price that La Manita is on the world market, and I believe it's about $7 or $6, 6 $7 a pound green if you're just buying it for home roasting, and, you know, roasted is 15 to $20, depending. And then, and then you got this JBM, 
which, like here in Canada, it's 45 bucks a pound roasted, and that's the cheapest price you can find for, like, a Mavis Banks, which is the minor farm, all right? If you go for Wallingford Estate, or or I forget what the other ones are, um, you know, it's just, it's through the roof. And what you're doing is you're just paying an extremely rich family to get richer. Now, as far as the cupping quality of JBM is, I've had Jamaican Blue Mountain every single year's crop, every sample from every farm for the last six years. And I've cupped it every year. Now, I'll say this about JBM, okay? When you drink Jamaican Blue Mountain and when it's roasted properly, and when it's drunk fresh, obviously, you know, uh, six to ten days after it's roasted, it's a very pleasing cup of coffee. It, it's a very pleasing. It's like it, it could be the poster child for coffee. But the problem is it just tastes like coffee. There's nothing extraordinary about it other than it's a well-balanced cup of coffee. No notes pop out at me as highlights in terms of tastes and profiles. No, you know, special uniqueness to it. It, it ta- I mean, I've tasted Brazil's. It tastes the same way. Hmm. And, you know, Jamaican Blue Mountain is one of those epitomes of marketing, you know, in the world. It's got such a cachet name. It's kind of like how White Spot is here in BC. But, like, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a coffee that's riding on a reputation that was crafted and created in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And today, to, in my opinion, there's much better coffees. Hell, I, I think Kona's are better coffees for just a nice balanced cup. And Kona's are expensive, too. But Kona's run, you know, you can, if we buy from our friend over at, uh, what's the name of the farm? Smith Farms? Yeah, smithfarms.com. I mean, you can buy uh, green from her, I think, for around a tw- 10 or $12 a pound. The, the top of the line, just regular uh, coffees from them. I mean, they're like 8 10 12 bucks a pound green. And roasted, I think they sell for 16 or $18 a pound. Really? And it's a much better coffee at less than half the price of JBM. The one thing I will totally agree with is that just like in, in there's a lot of Kona that's flooded the market that isn't mm-hmm. Kona coffee, you know, like Kona blend and all this crap where they only have to put 5 or 10% Kona in to call it a Kona blend. Oh. You know, there's a lot of Jamaican Blue Mountain knockoffs on the market for sure. And lots of consumers are being ripped off. But here, here's where I have an issue with that. If a consumer buys a coffee that's called Jamaican Blue Mountain, and it's not Jamaican Blue Mountain, it's like Guatemalan or something, right? Well, then it I don't that. feel that they're being ripped off very much more than if they're just buying original JBM. Because JBM, you're not getting value for what you spend. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very controversial view of mine, and I'm sure if the Jamaican Blue Mountain people hear this, they'll probably really be pissed off with me. But you want to know something? Their coffee's based on reputation. You know what? Kenneth David said this about this coffee was that he said... Um, Ken Davids? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. We're going to be having Ken on the show in the Is next he? few weeks. Oh, okay, well, he, he made some comments about it on the coffee review. And it was uh, about the virtues of it is at its best when it uh, has this round, complete sweetness and a full body. That's what I said. And he said that the quality can be uneven and the character fault is mustiness, which yeah. I think I've tasted the mustiness when I've had it. But usually when I've, I mean, I've cupped it with you too. And uh, yeah, it tastes like coffee. Like when it's really good, it's like it's the poster child for coffee. Oh, yeah, it's great. You know, it's, it's a balanced, rounded cup. There's sweetness, there's body, there's nice acidity. But there's no special flavors jumping out other than coffee taste. Yeah, I t- you know? I, I'm always looking. I always like my. And I'm looking for something more things. unique. And the fact is that, like last year, I had some amazing Brazil Cerrado, mm-hmm. which I think the wholesale price on is like two fifty a pound for green. 
versus 30, 35 bucks a pound for Jamaican Blue Mountain. And the Brazil was the exact same profile, a deep, luxuriant coffee taste that was sweet, that had lots of body and had a mild sweetness. So, boy, I could buy 10 pounds. Actually, I could buy how much? What, 15 pounds of the Brazil for one pound of the Jamaican Blue Mountain. What, just so I can brag to my friends? Hey, try some Jamaican Blue Mountain. Well, <laughs> anyways, I, I found... How are we doing on time on this one? Oh, my God, we're already at 18 minutes. Well, I found another article at erelease.com. Okay. And it's it's about a gourmet coffee company called Tastes of the World that has a program that airs in Fort Lauderdale and Miami. They have a segment that focuses on Caribbean ground chocolate and mention an all-time favorite coffee in the news, Kopi Luwak Coffee. <laughs> so another coffee that... Yes. You know, and I thought, well, Kopi yeah. Kopi Luwak. Do you know that I get, I would say three times a week on average, I get an email about the monkey poop coffee? Yeah, I get people asking me about it too. It's, it's actually pretty funny. It's like, here, here, you here's the it? deal. Okay, first of all, folks, I'll tell you something. Okay, first of all, Kopi Luwak is real. It does exist. However... Just like JBM, there's a lot of knockoffs and fakes on the market. Lots of them. From my understanding, only about 3,500 pounds a year is produced. Wow. And I'm sure that probably 10 times that much is sold. You know? (laughs) As far as I also know, in the States, there's only one importer of it, and he has an exclusive deal, and it's some dude down in California in San Francisco. I can't remember the name of them right now. Uh, but I'm sure if he listens to this, he'll write in and yeah. tell us. <laughs> now, now, here's the deal with Kupi Luwak. I actually procured, believe it or not, five pounds of it about well, five, six years ago now. Yeah. I actually still have about two pounds left. It's dead as heck, but at least you can still look at it. <laughs> I, yeah, I've shown it to some kids. And and the, the beans are kind of weird. Like, you can tell it's been through either an acid bath or the digestive it, tract of an animal. It looks worked. Yeah, like the beans look warped. They, they almost look like they've been through like a stone grinder for about, you know, a couple Not of even that. It just looks like it's been like remolded into the wrong shape, but yeah. they still look like beans. Yeah. The way that the, uh, I should explain how Kupi Luwak is actually processed and <laughs> taken care of. Now, the stuff I got had one exception. That's why I got it a lot cheaper than the normal like 150 to $200 a pound green. Um, I Mine... There were two bags that were accidentally wash processed at source. Okay, what's the difference between... Now, see, we see accidentally wash processed, right? <laughs> and that's how you'd kind of want it. But this is how Kupi Luwak is actually prepared. Okay, cherries grow on the tree. An animal called the civet cat. It's a weasel. And in fact, here's an irony. The civet cat is also supposed to be responsible for the SARS virus in China. Really? Yeah. But not not in, in in Indonesia where this is this is uh, this animal processes the beans. But anyways, um, the civet cat is kind of like you know how like the koala eats only eucalyptus leaves. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently the civet cat in this region only sits up in coffee trees and eats, according to the marketing literature, only the best most ripest cherries off of the coffee tree. So he spends all day eating it, getting a buzz, you know, from the because there's caffeine and leaves and in the in the cherry mucilage as well. And then he, you know, hops down to the ground and just leaves a little string of poop. And in that poop is like, you know, his processed, you know, cherry mucilage and all that stuff, and little hardened, slightly digested pebbles <laughs> of of green coffee. Okay, now here's where it gets worse, okay? You know what? It'd be an interesting way to process green. 
Because, I mean, for centuries, people, you know, farmers have been figuring out different ways to process it. You know, they brush it, dry process, leave the cherries out on a drying table for, like, several days until mm-hmm. the cherries kind of wilted away. And then they take, like, steel brushes or wool, uh, brushes to, to, to brush away the stuff and collect the coffee or the green coffee. Wet processing uses water to remove the cherry and, and everything else and just leave the coffee thing. Now, this process uses the digestive tract of a living animal to do it. Now, normally, that'd be cool, but no, they go a little further. So now, now normally you think, okay, feces and coffee beans, yeah, it's natural to want to wash it. <laughs> you know, clean it off a bit, but no, they dry process it. Hey, do you think that, uh, that when you're using this coffee, you need to wash your hands before mm, making it? <laughs> I don't know. They dry process it. They leave it out in the sun. They let the poop all, you know, get dry. And nice and crusty. And then they brush it. And no they extra bag charge. It. No extra charge for extra weight. And they, they, they bag it. So anyways, I ended up getting five pounds because it turns out that uh, about five years ago, six years ago, two commercial bags, about 135 pounds each or 270 pounds total, was accidentally sent to, like, you know, in these coffee-growing regions, they have little communal... Um, you know, coffee processing centers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like just like in the old days, how like, you know, uh, when when you were like a serf working, you know, on your Lord's farm and you take your wheat to be milled and you go to a central mill mm-hmm. that, the you know, the, 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 the Lord of the land owed or owned and, and uh, charged exorbitant fees for exists today in the coffee world. So the story goes is that these two commercial bags were accidentally sent to be water wet processed. And, um, anyways, I got five pounds of it. And what I like to do, what I like to do with it was, um, I'd roast up a hundred grams here and there. And if I had people over for dinner, you know, who knew I was into coffee and were expecting something special, they got something special. (laughs) You know what? The Kopi Luwak that I've had, um, which I I brewed for you. Yeah. You know what? I, I like it, but funny, a, funny enough, I think it tastes like tea. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a very mild Indonesian-style coffee. Yeah, there's, it's I don't, beautiful. There's nothing, you know, special about it in terms of taste or anything else. It's just coffee with a story. Well, yeah, but but we've actually... Have it? Have, you know, have, you, have you actually had the the unwashed? Like, have you had the dry processed yeah. stuff? Okay, I haven't had the dry processed. I haven't had the wet processed. It's no difference, really. <laughs> you got to think about By the time the coffee's roasted, all the, the fecal matter is burned off anyways. Oh, really? Right? Oh, darn. 450 Fahrenheit. I think that's going to kill bacteria and germs. Boy, and I was all excited that, you know. <laughs> but anyways, um, there is, you know, in Vancouver, did you know that there's like a yuppie uh, grocery store down in the L-Town called Urban Fair? And they oh. sell Kopi Luwak. I had a few people asking me about $350 that. $350 Canadian a pound. They also brew it by the cup. And I Aww. believe their by the cup price is eighteen dollars. Holy cow! Yeah, eighteen dollars. And they say they're coffee. breaking even at that cost. I wouldn't be surprised. So, so if you if you're in Vancouver and you really want to taste Koopy Luwak, uh, you can go to Urban Fair and get a you, cup. You know, there was an episode of CS, there was actually an episode of CSI that they solved the case because the the perpetrator drank Koopy Luwak coffee. Interesting. And they said it had to do with like you know the way that it was processed or whatever. It left different enzymes in the guy's stomach or whatever. See, I don't completely buy that. I think that's where CSI dropped the ball because 
You want to know something? Sure enough, the green, you know, probably has all sorts of bacterial enzymes and everything else on it. Mm. But by the time the coffee's roasted, it's just like any other coffee. You know, 450 mm. degrees Fahrenheit is going to kill any bacteria. Well, an enzyme isn't a bacteria. So. True, true. So, last discussion piece. What do you got? The last discussion piece I have is something called uh, that I called What Was Old Becomes New. <laughs> Uh, in the Rochester and Democrat Chronicles living section, no, I'm not even surprised about this, there is an article about how underage kids and non-drinkers are choosing more and more to hang out at coffee clubs and coffee bars. I'm just wondering if there's actually coffee karaoke bars or something. Oh, God. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> will you drink more coffee if you get to sing karaoke? But you add music to the mix, and it is a lot of fun for people to socialize without being overcrowded and surrounded by overly obnoxious drunk people <laughs> throwing up all over the place. Well, so and I think actually nowadays coffee, um, like cafes and coffee places, are actually being used more as pickup and meeting joints. I mean, remember the other story I had about India and mm-hmm. the, the uh, uh, but special meetings. <laughs> you know, like I think I suggested that title to you. What is old is new again, because I mean. This is how coffee houses got their start. Coffee houses got their start, and coffee became a popular drink in Western Europe because of the coffee house, and partially because... So you have to understand, like, as a student of history, one of the things I always found fascinating about the Middle Ages was the fact that the man, and at that time it was the lord or the knight or the, you know, yeah. the whatever of the, of the land, uh, kept his people down. The man kept his people down with beer. With beer. Beer. Did you know that back in like 1500, okay, the average working man's day meal intake and food and drink intake was beer for breakfast, (laughs) beer and soup for lunch, and beer and mutton for dinner. (laughs) Were they Irish? These were Europeans. (laughs) I mean, it was beer, 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 beer. Well, isn't that what they do in Ireland now? Here's the thing, though. Guinness? What happened was that there was no alternative, right? Uh, and, and then when coffee was introduced into Europe in the late 1500s and the 1600s, especially like 1650, 1680. Like in 1650, I think there was like two cafes in all of Western Europe. Uh-huh. By 1680, there was something like 3,000, you know, you know, in 30 years. The thing is, is that that is when the Age of Enlightenment really started to take hold. And frankly, I think that without coffee, we wouldn't have had the Industrial Revolution. We wouldn't have had the French Revolution. We wouldn't have had the American Revolution. Because one thing that coffee did was it turned pe- it made people sober. It also made them a little bit more attentive. And that's what the coffee house was about. People used to get together at their tavern and their pub after work, and they're already drunk from drinking beer all day. <laughs> And then they get in there and they just get more drunk. And then they fall asleep and they puke. And now, like, what they're doing is, is instead of like this, they're having coffee for breakfast and they're attentive and they're thinking through the day and they're thinking, God, my life sucks. You know, what is the deal with this man thing? You know, this this lord of my land, who is he to take 85% of what I make? And then they would congregate in cafes. And they personally, you know, cafes started because people were tired of the drunkards. And they wanted to go to a place where they could have intelligent discussion. And the average person discovered they could have intelligent discussion for the first time since, like, the Roman ages. The other reason why I think this is a good discussion piece is that something that, that's been popping up a li- lately uh, in our last podcast we talked about in the roundtable, uh, the portafilter.net site talked about coffee culture, like cafe culture. Mm-hmm. You know, going to the coffee house and socializing. 
my friend Chris Tacey has this article up where he calls for the death of the takeout cup. <laughs> he wants takeout cups banned. If you want coffee, you have to take it in porcelain. You have to drink it here. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of neat because what it is, is it does... I think that in so many ways, Starbucks... You know, like when I look at a drive through Starbucks window, it makes me cringe. Uh, it makes me cringe. And then all these drive-up, you know, kiosks for... For coffee and espresso. Like one of the things that really is hurting me a lot is Heinz Coffee down in Seattle. They're closing their doors uh, June, July 15th or 20th. Uh-huh. And uh, John Hornall, one of the two partners, is taking their five-group machine and he's setting up a kiosk. I like, think he's not planning on having uh, uh, porcelain cups because... No, he, he yeah. said, well, he probably for his espresso, who knows. But he, he's Heinz is turning into a place where he could go and hang out to a kiosk. That you go and you get your takeout and you walk away. And I just, it's going to be such a sad day for me. Because there's a real loss to, of the cafe culture there. And ironically enough, one of the people on portafilter.net who talked about cafe culture was Bronwyn. <laughs> Bronwyn Serna, who works for, for Heinz. And who I believe is going to be working the kiosk. So, you know, my heart goes out to you, Bronwyn. But anyways, we are done our discussion period, I think. Now... We're getting set for the 90-second rants. So, Jeanette, again, this week you got 90 seconds to talk about anything and rant about anything that you want to rant about. And uh, and I hope you're ready. So are we ready to go? Are you yes, ready? Okay, ready. let's start that timer. Go! Okay, well, my rant today is about how a lot of magazines and television and movies seem to not consider coffee equipment, espresso, grinders, or anything into their designs. In particular, every time I look into these magazines like uh, Home Magazine or Architectural Design or anything, the um, cabinets are too low. Uh, there is not enough counter space set out for it. Um, you know, they, the interior design they set out, and, and it's always like the coffee, uh, the espresso machine is under the cabinet, which is not actually a very good spot for it because you can't reach the espresso cups or heating on top of the machine. And, of course, like, you know, reaching the grinder is sometimes difficult. You can't have too much moisture to it. And so when you have too much moisture in your, uh, um, near your, your grinder, then, of course, it's really, it'll ruin your grinder and someone will get scolded for having a jam grinder. And also then um, uh, I actually noticed in things like uh, even Will and Grace, they have uh, Francis Francis, again, stuck underneath, stuck underneath um, uh, a cabinet. Um, and, and, yeah, it's just not really considered very, very well. Um, so what I am saying that interior designers, people who are – uh, people who are designing kitchens seconds. or anything should actually consider putting in some considerations like for Ten. things like uh, special grinders and machines and tamp boxes and plugs so that Five. we can make sure that we can actually have a proper use of it in our kitchen. Time's up. Time's up. Good one. That was a good rant. I like that rant. I'm not even going to talk about it because it was your rant. That's it. Thank you. It was good. I, I so- had point zero three seconds left. Oh, my God. <laughs> I so- looked at it. So that's the new segment this week, and it's a long one. Did you enjoy it? I did. I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. Yeah. And all complaints about my language used in this this uh, new segment can be sent to uh, news at coffeegeek.com. Wait a second. Isn't that to me? <laughs> yeah. Wait, let's tell people about what portion of the site you control. What's the address? 
that would be www.coffeegeek.com slash resources. Ah, slash resources. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, how can people get in touch with you? They can write to me at news at coffeegeek.com. And why would you want them to write you? Uh, for any reason at all. I actually got uh, someone, a few people writing and writing in a few comments, and I really do appreciate it. And it's actually quite heartening to, to hear that people are listening to this because otherwise I'm just talking to a wall. That's right. You need feedback. You need to know. It, it can't be a vacuum. Yeah, we don't exist in a vacuum. <laughs> Unless right. it's brewed. We should end this segment. So I will say uh, thank you, Jeanette. Thank you, Jeanette. No. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Don't forget to say hi to our good friends over at Portafilter.net. Oh, hello to everyone. No, not hello. Oh, hi. No, not hi. Party on, Jay. Party on, Nick. And party on, Nick. (laughs) But anyways, they're doing a good job over there. I like the fact that they're covering news a bit as well. Did you know they were? I did know. Hmm. Okay, well, let's sign off. Goodbye, folks. So long, folks. That's all, folks. I had to fade the music out. We have to start our segment. Oh, okay. And what were we playing? Uh, we're playing Merlin Manson, the beautiful people. And why are we playing it? Because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your name? Um, I'm Bahara, and I am the newbie today. That's again, right. Over and over. And this is the Coffee and Espresso Tips for Newbies segment on the Coffee Geek podcast. I'm Mark Prince here again. And what is your question? Well, I was having some lovely macchiatas at your place for the last little while. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you make it, you just pour some espresso and add some froth milk to it. Mm-hmm. And then I remember having a macchiato a while back at Starbucks. And it was basically this big drink with uh, lots of caramel and uh, some sprinkles or something. So when I had it at your place the first time, I was like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's the deal with all the... Uh, espresso drinks and what's the proper way to make them so are you asking if starbucks is making them the proper way or what you had in my house is proper yeah because when you gave it to me i was like "Hmm." well you know what i happen to have here i happen to have and what's the name of this little booklet i have make it your drink guide to starbucks beverages (laughs) that's right (laughs) and in it they have a segment that's called learning the lingo and it's just a whole bunch of terminology regarding how to order a drink at at starbucks so at the end here they give an example where you could actually order they want you to order a cup shots and size syrup milk and other modifiers and the drink itself see it wrote in as an example, yes, I'd like to have an iced decaf, triple grande, cinnamon, no fat, no whip mocha with sprinkles. <laughs> you forgot extra hot. Extra hot. <laughs> it says iced at the beginning, but they want extra hot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we're a Starbucks customer, so, you know. That's right. We, we want it our we way. We want it the way we want but it. 
Anyways, I, d- I decided to pull out this book because in this book, throughout different phrases like half calf and grande and quad and shaken and short, they actually list the basic espresso drinks and have a description for each. So I'm going to read them out. And then I'll talk about whether or not they've got it right or if they do it right in their store compared to the proper way. Okay. All right. First drink is the Americano. Mm. They say it's a coffee made with two shots of espresso and hot water. Well, they almost got it right. Almost. An Americano is a drink based on ratios. In fact, all espresso-based drinks, be it cappuccino, Americano, latte, cafe au lait, mocha, macchiato, they're all drinks that are based on ratios of one liquid to another liquid. All right? And Starbucks doesn't have ratios in this book, and they don't do ratios in their store either because they're all over the map. You can order a 20-ounce Vente there, a Vente Latte, with one shot of espresso in it. So, and what's ironic about this is that Starbucks wants to be the McDonald's of the coffee world. And that's not a slam. Their goal is that no matter what Starbucks you go into around the world, if you order like your, let me read that again, your iced decaf triple grande cinnamon no fat no whip mocha with sprinkles and extra hot. <laughs> That if you have it in Seattle, it's going to taste exactly the same way it tastes in Paris or yes. in London. You they know? basically know what you're getting everywhere you go. Yeah, and that's their goal. Consistency. Not quality anymore. Consistency. But where they kind of drop the ball is in ratios. The ratios are all over the map. So the Americano, what is it? They say it's a double shot of espresso with hot water. A true Americano, as far as it's existed for 20 plus years, has been a drink that is one part espresso to one part hot water, up to one and a half to two parts hot water. You know, you could vary it. It depends on how strong you want your coffee drink to be. But it never goes above two parts water. It's just too diluted. So if you pour, and let's get some ratios straight, folks. I know my audience is primarily American, but I think I'm going to stick for the most part to metric in this, this talk. 30 milliliters of liquid is roughly one ounce, one American ounce. So 60 mils is two ounces and so on and so on. Mm. A single shot of espresso is 30 mils or a double shot is 60 mils. Let's say you do a double shot. Mm-hmm. Then you add 60 to 120 milliliters of water, hot okay. water. And that's your Americano. So you end up with a drink that is only, you know, as, as small as 180 milliliters. Pretty small. Yeah. So, and that's what a traditional Americano is. If you want a bigger drink, you increase the volumes throughout. You do four shots of espresso which gives you 120 mils of espresso. And then you use 120 mils to 180 to 240 milliliters of hot water. And you end up with a drink that is 300 to 400 milliliters total or roughly a 10 to 12 ounce cup. Next drink on their list, actually they don't have this drink listed, but I wrote it in here. Café au lait. Café au lait. This is a French drink. It's, it's actually extremely popular in France. It's a b- traditional breakfast drink that's served to both adults and children. Usually in France, when if you're staying at a hostel or something and they include a, a breakfast with the stay, you traditionally get a stick of bread, some butter, some fruits, and a big bowl of café au lait. Mm. Yeah. And it's traditionally made with a mocha coffee, which is like double strong brewed coffee. And the ratio traditionally is four parts steamed milk or heated milk to one part double strong coffee. You can sort of fake this with an espresso machine by making your shot of espresso, diluting it with water to a one-to-one ratio, and then adding four parts steamed milk. 
So in other words, if you pull a double shot, that's 60 mils, you add another 60 mils of hot water, that's 120 mils, and then you add four times that in steam milk, or roughly 500 milliliters of milk, ending up with a drink that is over half a liter. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I know, but that is. I mean, think about it. People have big bowls of cereal in the morning here in mm-hmm. North America. Over there, that's what they have. Yeah, I guess so. It's you know? the same. It's, there's not much difference. What's the next drink we have? Cappuccino. Ah. Okay, first of all, people in New York think that the cappuccino was invented in New York at a place called Reggio's. It wasn't? In like 1952. It wasn't. Espresso machines have existed since 1905, and since that date, they've had steam ones. You can't tell me that some enterprising Italian, and the steam ones were used to heat milk to do cafe au lait or equivalent drinks. You can't tell me that no enterprising Italian between 1905 and 1952 discovered that by using the steam one, you could create milk froth. The cappuccino has existed probably since at least the 1910s or 1920s. Just maybe not a name. But anyways, the cappuccino. This is a drink of thirds. One-third espresso, one-third steamed milk, and one-third frothed milk. So again, if you're pulling a double shot of espresso... Let's start with the single. You're pulling a single shot. We're talking about a drink, okay, that is only three and a half ounces big. Cup size is three and a half ounces. That's tiny. It is, because that's what a tr- true traditional cappuccino would be one ounce of espresso, one ounce of, of steamed milk, and in volume, one ounce of froth milk, ending up with a three-ounce drink. Usually, cappuccinos are made as a double or a long single pull, so you end up with like 60 milliliters of espresso, two ounces, 60 milliliters of steam milk, another two ounces, and the volume equivalent of 60 milliliters of froth milk sitting on top. So you end up with a drink that is six ounces. It sounds complicated. Well, it's not complicated. It's just that the rate, it's just easier to remember drink of thirds. However much espresso you have in the bottom of the cup, you add double that volume in steamed and froth milk. That's it. The problem is that you're almost guaranteed never to get a proper traditional cappuccino at any chain cafe in North America, unless you specifically demand it, unless you specifically lay out for them how you want the drink built, I'll guarantee you that everything served as a cappuccino is not a proper cappuccino. Now, why am I so anal about these ratios? I don't know. Why are you so anal? (laughs) I'm anal about them because I've tasted drinks that have different ratios. I've tasted cappuccinos that will have like 30 mils or 60 mils of espresso. They'll have 120 mils of steamed milk and they'll have about 40 or 50 milliliters of froth milk sitting on top. And that's your typical cappuccino you'll get at a cafe. And it doesn't taste anywhere near as good as a drink built the proper way. The ratios are perfect. So that's why I'm eating a little bad. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. (laughs) Now the next drink on the list, Conpana. What's Mm. a Conpana? Sounds like a bread. (laughs) A conpana is actually, it's a term. Now, usually you order it like a cappuccino conpana or a, a mocha conpana or whatever. Traditionally, if you go into an independent cafes in Canada and the United States and you order conpana, please, they will serve you up a shot of espresso in an espresso cup with a dollop, just like a teaspoonful of whipped cream on top. Mm, That's that a proper good. conpana. Okay. When you go to Starbucks or Tully's or you know, second cup or whatever else, and you order it, they'll probably serve you, they'll ask you what size, and their smallest size is 8 or 12 ounces. They'll serve you, like, their version of a cappuccino 
but with tons of whipping cream on top. Take out the seltzer ball. And... Okay, okay, we'll get the point. I'm not done yet. I'm empty. Can you refill, please? You spray some on your face. <laughs> that's that's a compound out of chain, and it's. You know, just why don't you just ask for the for the whipping cream bottle and put it up at your mouth and just pour mm, away. Okay, I will. <laughs> but anyways, a proper compana, if it's just ordered that way, is a shot of espresso with a dollop of whipped cream on top. Okay, what's the next drink? Next drink is oh oh the biggie. Espresso. Espresso. They actually have it in the book. And what do they say? Coffee's purest, sweetest, most intense form. Mm. Funny later on. When they talk about ristretto, they say it's even sweeter. So they're kind of contradicting themselves in this book. But anyways, the espresso. Okay. First of all, when I read this, I kind of laugh. Kind of. Yeah, because here's why. Over the last 10 years or so, I've had maybe 750 shots at maybe 200 different Starbucks. Oh, my God. I know. Listen, I don't believe in trashing Starbucks just because it's trendy. When I trash Starbucks, I actually have some facts to back me up to show why they're screwing up. And the thing is with the espresso, like I said, I've had maybe 500 to 750 shots at Starbucks in the last 10 or 12 years. I've never, ever gotten a shot that I would call naturally sweet. Okay, no sugar added, just naturally sweet. And part of the problem is that Starbucks just roasts too dark. Mm-hmm. Their dark roast kills sugars in, in the roasted coffee, you know? So they end up with a charcoaly big body. And ever since they switched over to Super Automax, forget about it. I'm going to tell you a very quick aside on Super Automax, and then I'll explain what the espresso drink is. Super Automax are currently, this is commercial Super Automax. This is home models. This is office models. Currently, they are not capable of extracting a sweet shot of espresso. And I know from personal testing, I've taken samples of coffee that when brewed on a traditional machine like the Lamarzoco or, or in, even the home machines I use, like the Solus SL70, I get a shot that will have various characteristics and one of them may be an intrinsic sweetness. I'll take that coffee over to one of the half dozen Super Automatics that I have for testing and put that same coffee in, the same bag, the same bean, the whole works, pull a shot, and the sweetness is a ghost. It's gone. Here's what an espresso is. I've said it before, but I'll reiterate now. An espresso, a single, is 30 mils to 45 mils. That's one to one and a half ounces. And a double is 60 to 75 to 90 mils. So that would be two to three ounces, two to two and a half ounces. Simple? Mm, I guess so. Next on the list is the latte. Can I have a latte, please? <laughs> Wait, let me go back and order my drink here. <clears throat> is it, oh, it's a mocha. Shoot. <laughs> Can I have a tall, no. non-fat Extra hot. You forgot the cup design. Caramel Hotel. latte. What else? What else can I get? <laughs> All Look at sorts the list. Of stuff. <laughs> I know it's scary. I, I just love. Can I have an iced decaf triple grande cinnamon? No fat. No no fat. No whip latte. Extra hot, please. I think that's why they give you the booklet because it's so complicated. <laughs> okay. The latte. Latte. Now here's the deal. Remember I said that the cafe au lait is a drink enjoyed by both children and adults in in France. The latte is a favorite drink for children in Italy. <laughs> I can't believe the, they give kids coffee. It's because it's to them, it's extremely diluted, right? So like where in Italy in the morning, the parents will have a spread like mocha coffee, like a demitasse of mocha coffee. 
they'll have espresso, they'll have cafe correcto. <laughs> cafe correcto, for those who don't know, mm. is a shot of espresso served with a shot of grappa. Oh. You take your shot of espresso, which is in a porcelain cup, and you take your shot glass of grappa, and you pour about one-third of the grappa right into the espresso. Then you drink your shot of espresso. And when it's done, there's still like the crema that's on the side of the porcelain. So you take another one-third of your grappa, pour it in there, and swirl it around to get all the uh, the crema that's left over. And you drink that. And then you just take the last one-third <laughs> in the shot and toss it back. And that's what Italians have in the morning before they go to work. Hey, how God. come you never made it for me? Uh, I have some grappa. We'll make it later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, that's a cafe correcto. So it, parents will have cafe correcto. Um, espresso, mocha coffee, or cappuccino. And Italians only really drink cappuccino in the morning. It's not a drink to have after 10 or 11 a.m. in Italy. But for the children, it's the latte. Latte. That's right. And the latte is a drink that where the cafe au lait is 4 to 1 ratio of milk to, to coffee. The latte traditionally is a 3 to 1 ratio drink. So that's 3 parts steamed milk to 1 part espresso. All right? So, like, if you want a 12-ounce latte, it should be three ounces of espresso in there and nine ounces of milk. Again, you don't really get that at Starbucks. People who go in there and order a venti latte with two shots of espresso, they're getting a drink that has 18 ounces of steamed milk and two ounces of espresso. Let's call a spade a spade. They're not buying a coffee-based drink at that point. They're buying milk that has a very slight coffee taste to it. What if you, what if you had not an extra shot or something? I don't know. Oh, even then. You know, uh, uh, when you go into Starbucks and order a venti latte, there should be at least five ounces of espresso in there. And typically, the largest amount of espresso that Starbucks will add to a drink before they start charging you more is a quad, four shots. So they're going to add four ounces of espresso and you're going to have 16 ounces of milk. Hmm. Anyway, so let's move on. <laughs> the next drink on the list is, uh-oh, we come to the magic M word. Macchiato. Macchiato. Let's see what they say. Italian for marked or stained. For example, the Starbucks caramel macchiato. Okay. What's that supposed to mean? Here's the thing, okay? They are right that the macchiato means marked or stained. But the macchiato has and has been for decades a drink served in an espresso cup, and it's served with a shot of espresso. And instead of the Conpana version where it's a dollop of whipped cream, you're adding one ounce of froth and steamed milk. So if you have one ounce of espresso, there's a half ounce of froth milk and a half ounce of steamed milk. That's a macchiato. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds different than Starbucks. Starbucks, their drink is essentially a latte with a lot of caramel, and a lot of whipping cream. So why didn't they call it a caramel latte campana? I don't know. I know that the out of all the drinks and all the things that Starbucks does, nothing bothers independent cafe owners and, you know, really excellent baristi more than this whole macchiato issue. At least with the other drinks, Starbucks makes the drinks more or less according to the proper formula. With the macchiato, they completely blew the doors open and completely disregarded what it is. And it's a big problem because, like, the first macchiato you may have ever had was at Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And then when you come here and you say to me, hey, can I have a macchiato? Then I'll go and make it. And the way I'm going to make it is with one ounce of espresso and a little froth and steamed milk and serve it up to you. And your response is, this isn't a macchiato. You're ripping me off. Yeah, where's the rest? (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and this happens every single day at quality independent cafes. Um, the last two drinks we have in the book are mocha mm-hmm. and ristretto. So I'll cover mocha quickly. A drink made with espresso, chocolate, and steamed milk. That is more or less right. A mocha is essentially a latte with uh, chocolate syrup in it. That's it. Or, you know, some places, like if you go to really fine restaurants, they'll actually take like a Valrona chocolate, which is the world's best and most expensive chocolate, and melt it, right? They'll pour the espresso right on it in the cup and then add the steamed milk on top. Mm, Tastes really good because the last mouthful you get from the cup is just when the slightly melted soft Valrona chocolate, and it just tastes awesome. Mm. But again, if you're going to make a mocha properly, it's a, it's made just like the latte, three to one ratio of milk, chocolate milk to espresso. Okay, no real foam on top. Typically, people add whipped cream, but if you're gonna add whipped cream, it's a mocha compagni. So it's more like a dessert drink, actually. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last drink is the ristretto. Now, what do you think the ristretto is? Um. I don't know. It's like a half shot or something. Or <laughs> see, that's that. If you now again, if you go into a Starbucks or a Second Cup or whatever, that's what you're going to get if you're a ristretto. They're going to like now a typical shot of espresso is pulled in 25 seconds. So from the time the brew switch is hit to the time it's hit again to turn off, that's 25 seconds. If you go into a Starbucks and order a ristretto, they're going to turn that switch off at 15 seconds or 18 seconds. Okay, that is not a ristretto. That is a that is a short pull. And what they say in the book, a short pull of espresso capturing only the sweetest part. That's BS. <laughs> That's just BS. A true ristretto, and by the way, the ristretto is a crutch. Saying that to all you out there, Chris Tacey, <laughs> you'll get it. Crutch. Um, the ristretto, the proper ristretto, it stands for restricted pull. Now, again, if you pull a traditional double shot of espresso, 60 mils in 25 seconds, if you want to do a ristretto, you want to have only 30 to 45 milliliters in that same 25 seconds. How do you do it? You can either make the grind finer on the ground coffee, or you can add more coffee to the filter, or you can do a combination of both. You can make the grind slightly finer and add a little bit more coffee in the basket. What that's going to do is it's going to increase the resistance to the water going through the puck and slow down the shot or restrict the shot. Okay, so it's harder for it to get through. That's right. Okay. So instead of, in 25 seconds, instead of getting 60 milliliters, you're going to have 40 or 30 or 45. And okay. that is a true ristretto. Okay, I was always confused what it means. <laughs> and that's it. Okay, so... Has, does that answer some of your questions? I think so. Awesome. Well, I guess I can go and uh, check up on Starbucks again and I can correct the barista now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I guess that kind of answered my question for today. So, until next time, I'm Bara. <laughs> and I'm Mark, Mark Brands. <laughs> okay, so let's And get what back. was the segment called? Uh, coffee for newbies. No, nope, not quite. Coffee and espresso for newbies. Not quite. Coffee and espresso tips <laughs> for newbies. <laughs> Woohoo! Woohoo! Okay, catch you guys later. Ciao.